kinds of alcohol are better than others. Her go-to on-the-go protein snacks. Why you should not be an all-or-nothing person. How much protein you should be eating, whether or not you should try fasting and for how long, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 413 with registered dietitian specializing in weight loss, Amanda Nybert. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, Nick Carrier. I believe the path to getting closer to the best version of yourself is different for all of us, but it follows the same framework. You see, our lives have six different areas, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational. And in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, we want to be managing all of those areas at all times, but also spiking in one of them. If you want to learn how to do this, then check out my free Best You Planner and video course at nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Again, nickcarrier.com slash best journey. I am so fired up for today's interview with Amanda Nybert. Amanda is a registered dietitian specializing in weight loss and nutrition. Her passion and purpose is to empower others to break the all or nothing mindset and find sustainable change for long-term weight loss success. You guys who know me know this is right up my alley. I love the tips that she gives for choosing the right alcohols, the 80-20 rule, avoiding the all or nothing mindset, how to manage the nutrition for your kids, and so much more. But before diving into the episode, make sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend or family member while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Amanda Nyberg. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I am super excited today to be joined by the one and only Amanda Nybert. Amanda, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Excited to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited. I know we're going to have an amazing conversation from the content that I've digested from you up to this point because I know that me and you have a lot of similar thoughts and opinions about lifestyle change and habit change. And I love how you talk about how you're trying to help people break the all or nothing mindset. I think that is such a key thing. And so kind of the way I want to start off with that is you hear a lot of times, often people will say, I'm just an all or nothing person. Do you think it's that people are actually more potentially all or nothing people and they're born that way? Or is that just how society kind of forms us into being that person? Um, no, <laughs> we definitely... make ourselves that person. You know, I think that we live in a culture of perfection. You know, Mm. everything is about doing it perfectly, showing up perfectly, being perfectly. And and I think that that translates into how we feel. You know, we think in order to be successful at our job, at being a parent, and even with our health and wellness, that it requires perfection, that there's no middle ground. And, And I think the diet industry is really fed into that with the type of nutritional education that we've been presenting over the last five decades. You know, when we think about it, back in uh, 1977, when the first nutritional guideline was created, it was all about no fat. There was no like middle ground. And then fast forward to today, and now the language is all about no carbs, no sugar. Prior to five decades ago, we lived in a very balanced world where all macronutrients fit in kind of some perspective, but 
you know, the narrative now is that, you know, in order to be successful, again, you have to be completely low carb or completely low fat. And so people feed into that. What has been the biggest message that you've tried to get across to people to ensure that they realize that you don't have to be perfect in order to be successful. You just have to be consistently good, right? You just have to be consistently good. What is it that gets that to click for people? Because I really think a lot of people know that to a certain extent, but they don't live it out because maybe that is not deeply ingrained of a belief. And so what message that you communicate to other people gets it to so that they actually believe it and actually live it out? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, if it was super easy to make that mindset shift, we'd all be in a much better place because that is the challenge. It does not happen overnight because we're constantly at fight with ourselves with regards to what we think we need to do and what we actually do. You know, I think the biggest thing that I do for my clients, I'm a registered dietitian. I've been in the field of weight loss for the past 20 years. I'll age myself. And it's always about getting them to understand that one meal, one day, even one weekend does not make or break your success. It's what you choose to do after that meal, that day, that weekend, that really does. I call it the might as well thinking. And I think the first step is just recognizing that you do that. And so I have my clients say, hey, I want you to think of me the next time you say might as well, because that's what happens. We walk into an office full of donuts. We try our very best to avoid them. They don't align with our nutritional goals, but we end up having a few. And for so many people that triggers the might as well thinking, well, might as well have nachos for lunch and pizza and beer for dinner because I've already blown it. So I really encourage my clients to catch themselves saying that. And then really the hard part, because it is the hard part, is pivoting at the next meal. Just because you had two or three donuts in the morning, that did not make or break your day. It's ultimately what you chose to do the rest of the day that will. So I think as people learn to pivot and reset, and then they see oh my gosh, it has no impact. I'm still making progress. Mm -hmm. I'm still moving forward. Then that's when they really start to kind of believe that kind of system. Yeah. I really like the, the might as well thinking philosophy and phrase, because as you said, so many people do have a bad dinner on Thursday and you're like, screw it. I'll wait till next week to get back on track. Might as well go off the rails. What's really important that you do is you really try to ingrain people to almost say that to themselves in their head and think of that to you. And it's really important because habits are based off of triggers. And so if you can do something bad and then you have this trigger of, okay, might as well. And then I think of Amanda and then my next move after that is a positive move rather than a negative move. That's going to be so much more beneficial for them because it's like building a new habit. It's like, okay, if I do something bad, my new habit is I think of Amanda and I get back on track as quickly as I can. And I'm sure that's super helpful for all your clients and everybody you work with. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times people don't even realize they're doing that. It's not, you know, again, you have donuts on Friday and it turns into a might as well weekend because heaven forbid you reset on a Saturday. So then it's like you get to the end of Sunday and you don't remember what triggered your negative weekend. You just feel like a failure. Look at me. Here I am again. I can't do it. I'm never going to be successful because I can't be perfect. So that realization of what's triggering you to lead down that kind of negative path, again, is the first step. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, listen, 
Sometimes you have donuts in the morning and you have a salad with lots of protein for lunch and a really nice dinner. And sometimes you have donuts in the morning and you eat like an asshole the rest of the day. You're never perfect. You know, some days are always better than others, but it's just the notion of every moment trying to do your best. One of the things I'm really excited to get in with some some practical things as well. And, you know, you talk about the 80-20 rule and, and a lot of people talk about trying to be good 80% of the time and not worry as much about the other 20% of the time. And one of the phrases that I use with my clients is to make certain things not as bad as they could be. So for example, in the 20% of the time, instead of having six drinks of alcohol, have four. Instead of eating two slices of cake, have one. And one of the things that I've seen on your website is a resource when it comes to alcohol. And we're right in the middle of the summer right now. And any time of the year, alcohol can get the best of people, but summer for sure as well. Talk to us about some of maybe practical steps that people can do to maybe make alcohol consumption not as bad as it could be by maybe the types of alcohol that they're going to consume and and then maybe the the quantity of it too. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate on that 80-20 concept Because I think that that's another area in which the nutritional industry fails. It's like, oh, you have to get 10,000 steps a day and you have to do that. You know, we create these kind of like absolutes when if you're someone who's walking 3,000 steps a day to get 10,000 steps a day is not going to be easy. But if you're doing three and you increase it to four, guess what? That makes a difference. So recognizing like where you are and what that better is. So I love that approach in terms of the way that you're looking at it. And I also love the approach in terms of the 20%. Well, typically I would have had four donuts. So today I'm only going to have three. Guys, that is a step in the right direction. That is you making better choices and and increasing that in terms of average of goodness or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that. So alcohol is tricky. I think for a long time, um, alcohol was kind of given this little, a little bit of a halo effect, like, oh, there's benefits in drinking alcohol, like red wine is good for your heart. Well, I call bullshit on that. I I tell people, I'm like, listen, there's no role for alcohol in elevated health. Okay. Now, also, I love a good Tito's and soda on Friday and Saturday night. So I'm not an absolute. And I think it is all about balance. For me, I think when people understand what alcohol does to your progress and the results that you're trying to do, you tend to second guess that third or fourth cocktail. So I'd love to run through those and then give you um, a couple of suggestions of, of what to look for for good alcohol choices. Alcohol is going to affect your progress in kind of three or four main ways. Number one, obviously, there's a macronutrient component. A lot of people don't realize alcohol is the fourth macronutrient. So it's going to bring with it calories regardless. In addition, if you're drinking a pina colada, strawberry daiquiri, a thick ale, you know, you're going to add carbs and fats and all of those other things to it. So two or three cocktails can really add up four, five, six, 700 calories. So you have that kind of macro impact. Number two, alcohol absolutely slows down your metabolism. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard that before, but um, again, alcohol being that it is the fourth macronutrient, but it's also a toxin. So the body is going to prioritize the metabolism 
of alcohol first and foremost. So when you sit down to like chicken, broccoli, and a glass of water, as soon as you're done eating, your body begins to break down and metabolize the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats from your chicken and broccoli. But if you sit down to chicken, broccoli, and a glass of wine, as soon as you're done eating, your body's forced to store all the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats from your chicken and broccoli while it prioritizes metabolizing the alcohol. So fat metabolism completely shuts down when alcohol is on board. And it takes about four to six hours to process that alcohol. So you've just lost about four to six hours of your metabolism with with every night that you're drinking. So again, that's going to slow down your progress. That's why I I work with a lot of women. And I'm like, hey, ladies, that one glass of wine every night is absolutely crushing your progress. And let's be honest, it's not a four ounce pour. It's definitely an eight ounce pour. So that's two glasses of wine. At least. <laughs> yeah, at least. So, you know, you you can't have a glass of wine every night at dinner if you're looking to make weight loss progress it, or it would be very hard. And number three, alcohol absolutely crushes your sleep. And you look like a very young buck. I'm not, I'm not as young as you. Sleep is important for everybody. But as we get older, sleep matters the most. I work with a lot of women who carry a lot of weight in their midsection. If you're holding a lot of weight in your midsection, that is absolutely alcohol, sleep, not enough protein, and not enough strength training, not enough muscle mass. Even though you think you're sleeping well after that glass of wine, you're not. And it's crushing you know, your metabolism because we burn the most fat at night, at rest. And so you're not really getting into those three deep cycles um, to really maximize that. So again, it's like being aware of, okay, well, how is alcohol going to impact my results? Now, when I'm drinking, I'm always looking for the lightest option. For me, I want to look for something that's light in calories, you know, light in carbs, light in fat. I love the seltzers. I love high noons. They're one of my favorite. All of your hard liquor has zero macros. It's just calories. So it's really about what you mix it with. So like tequila soda, vodka soda, those are great options. Margaritas, mm, not so much, you know, vodka, orange juice, not so much. Bourbon diet Coke. Okay. Bourbon Coke, not so much. So um, when you think about mixers, it's really about, are you adding a bunch of extra calories, carbs, and sugars into the already, you know, caloric impact of the alcohol? So light beers, wine, you know, those are all kind of like my go-tos when it comes to alcohol. Mm, that's, that's powerful. Like you said, I think for so many people, it comes to, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who listen to that on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whenever they listen to it, and they're not going to have that glass of wine or they're not going to have that beer or two after dinner simply because of hearing it. And so, so much about action is just about the knowledge and the belief behind how something might affect you. And so that's that's super key. I think one of the things that makes the 80-20 rule and just not being an all or nothing person so powerful is it allows you to be, it's an amount that allows you to be consistent over a long period of time. However, one of the downsides of it is that potentially results might not come as quickly, right? If you went crazy for four weeks compared to somebody who went 80-20 for four weeks, the person who goes crazy for four weeks is going to see quicker progress than the person who goes 80-20 for four weeks. And so point being, what do you have people do to try to stay patient? People know to try to be patient 
with their progress because they kind of know it's supposed to take time, but at the same time, they get patient with how long it takes. And so what do you have people do to hopefully increase their level of patience with their progress? I have a lot of taglines. And one of my taglines is whatever you do to lose the weight is what you have to do to keep it off. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that your health and wellness, there is no finish line. You don't get to the point where 80-20 doesn't apply. You don't get to the point where you get to go back and drink every day. And so when you look at it in that sense, then you recognize the importance of finding balance. Because yeah, mm. anybody can you know, do low carb or you know, whatever for 30 days and not drink for 30 days. And I mean, we can do anything for 30 days, but can you do it for life? Can you do it through December? Can you do it while you're on your birthday? And I think what happens is, again, those people that want quick results that are willing to go all in, guess what? They have the all or nothing mindset. And the minute that they slip up, the minute a vacation comes, the minute, you know, they have something that they don't feel like they have ultimate control over, they're paralyzed. They're, you know, I mean, essentially they're like, oh my gosh. And and again, I've blown it, might as well. And then they just kind of throw in the towel and they're right back to where they started 30 days ago. So, I mean, that's really the most powerful message that I give my clients that, you know, this is all about creating sustainable lifestyle changes. I'll tell them, I'm like, if I am asking you to do anything that doesn't feel sustainable, we should not be doing it. Because in the long run, every single person has to get up and make a decision to either prioritize their health or not. It's never effortless, but it has to be easier. I like what you said with no finish line. You know, a lot of people, one of the problems with our pro, I I have a a 10 week kind of thing. And you, I know you have your seven week things. One of the things that I was hesitant about like three years ago when I was creating it is like, when you put a timeline on something, people inevitably put a timeline on it when it's like, no, this, this, I know this is, ends, but it should not end. So I think it's really important for real to realize for people that when timelines are put on things, you shouldn't necessarily put it for a timeline for yourself. Another practical thing that I'm, I am really excited to get you uh, to talk about because I have so many moms who listen to this podcast. And I saw yesterday on your Instagram story, how you were talking about some of the on the go protein snacks that you were bringing to your son's baseball game. Because, and like you said, in your story, Protein is the hardest thing to to bring on the go. And the lack of protein is what so many people are missing when it comes to their appropriate diet and their and their macros. And so I want you to talk from first kind of like a practical standpoint, how you go about planning and, and setting yourself up for success when you do foresee baseball games and trips and vacations and other things like that coming up. And then maybe after that, kind of like you did with the alcohol, talking about maybe some of the specific things that you do bring to, to get in protein and have healthy on-the-go options. I think in anything that we do, success is about preparation. You don't go into a job without some sort of preparation. You don't go, you don't throw a party without preparation. And, and I think a lot of people kind of poo-poo on the need to think ahead. And for me, I think that that is the ultimate key in terms of being successful, especially on the go. Having uh, yesterday, I mean, who knows when this is going to air, but 
to refer back to my story, I packed a bag of food that equaled a hundred grams of protein. And somebody messaged me and was like, that's a lot of food. Are you going to eat all that food? And I'm like, no, but I've got it. It's like, this is my safety stash in case I don't have the ability to find a meal or something on the go. I've got something to fall back on. And I think people like overthink it. It doesn't have to be hard. Again, typically when I'm like packing to go on a trip, to to go to the baseball park, to do that, like you mentioned, I always prioritize protein because it's really hard to find adequate protein at the ballpark. I mean, yes, there's probably burgers and hot dogs, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit there and eat, you know, three or four burgers and hot dogs. So those are the things that I bring with me. I can easily find carbohydrates and fats. Um, those are the things that I have to kind of watch out for at the ballpark type of thing. So again, this is a strategy that I teach in my lean program, my seven week program. I call it like flex flexible tracking, because I do feel like protein is absolutely everyone's missing link to weight loss and long-term success. We're just as a nation under consuming protein. So, you know, I teach my clients, it's like, if you just focus on hitting your protein goal every day, guess what? Everything else falls into place. So again, just the short answer is you got to plan. You can't wing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So having those things that I keep in my pantry, that I can throw in a bag and take with me. I mean, it took me every bit of three minutes to put together that sack, you know, of of goodies is what sets me up for success. Now, it's also about making sure that my home is always stocked with the things that I need to succeed, you know? And I think that everyone should have quick grab and go things, maybe things that you don't eat every day that you know, you kind of save for occasions like, like the baseball park or something. And then I think everyone should have those kind of, you know, longer time prep items at home that, you know, when they are at home fixing dinner, they have time to do that. So that's really the biggest takeaway is just plan ahead, prepare for it. I mean, you knew you had a baseball tournament four months ago, trust me, you know, we know what's on our calendar. We know what we have coming up. So it's about planning ahead. I I use the same concept with eating now. I say most people eat out at the same four or five restaurants. If I'm grabbing fast food, most likely it's going to be Chick-fil-A, Jimmy John's, Panera. So I took the time years ago to pull up the menu, look at the nutritional information, How am I going to get my 30 to 40 grams of protein? What am I going to order? So now it's like effortless. I, you know, I basically order the same thing every time I go. And I know that I'm able to hit my macros and stay in check. So again, it's like, if you take a little bit of time to do that prep work, then it it saves you days, hours, months, and makes you more successful in the long run. Yeah. What do you say to somebody who is who might be listening probably there's not probably not that many people who have that thought who are listening now uh because people are pretty health conscious who listen to this but let's say somebody is hearing you and and uh, i just don't, i don't know i don't want to look up the menus beforehand i, I don't want to do all that prep work I, i'm just not willing to do that because ultimately they feel like it's not going to matter that much to make sure that they have really healthy food i guess like the the question is What is your message to somebody who is not willing to take extra steps in preparation to prioritize their health? We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. 
I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hi, I'm Marissa, and I joined Nick's 10-week program um, to train for my half marathon. From week to week, I've just seen myself get stronger and um, runs get easier. Doing it with like a group has been fun. This is my first time doing like a workout class like that, so I've really enjoyed it. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Well, then I think that you're not ready. You're not motivated. You're, you know, mm-hmm. you're in it for the wrong reasons. I mean, you can't sign up for a marathon and just show up. You know, you can't run a race without preparation. And again, the preparation ultimately makes the race easier. So basically what I say to that person is you continue to make this challenge challenging. Here we are, me, you, health professionals, We are trying to show you how to simplify it. We are trying to show you how to be effortlessly successful, yet you've got pushback. So that's not a me problem. That's a you problem in terms of what do you want? Again, clearly, I would say for that person, you're looking for a magic pill. And guess what, buddy? It doesn't exist. All right. So you can sit around and continue to wait for that magic pill. But when you're actually ready to put in the work, which is what it takes to be healthy, Call me up. I love it. I love it. That's got to have that. Got to have that talk. You're continuing to make this challenge more challenging. That was that was awesome. I love that. I love that. So many people, people do that in all areas of their life. People continue to find ways to make it as challenging as possible because of a lack of preparation. 100%. Gosh, that was good. Like I had people come blame me. You know, like I've had people, you know, I'm on like my own personal platform showing myself living 80, 20 and come at me saying I'm making it harder for them to eat healthier because I'm eating 20%, you know, whatever. And I'm like, boom, this is not about me. Okay. So you can try to reflect it on me, but this is about you. And so again, nobody wants to take responsibility. You know, we're all like kindergartners sometimes. And and it's like, you know, sometimes a little tough love is what it takes for people to realize that you got to step up and you got to go the plate and you got to, you know, swing to win or you're just wasting your time. I love it. You're probably a hell of a mother. One one of the other things I wanted to, to touch on it and talk about and something that I've learned a lot about actually. So I'll give you a brief, brief kind of background on me. And this year, I kind of have used the first five or six months out of this year. I took it upon myself to do more nutrition education personally, because I felt like I was relatively equipped, but there was inevitably times where clients would come up to me and I wouldn't feel confident enough with being able to provide the answer that I wanted. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to make a change to this. And so I kind of created my own nutrition curriculum, if you will, where I picked out nine different books and a different podcast every single week to listen to. And and now I'm really glad that I did it. I feel so much more equipped and adept with my knowledge. And, and so fasting is one of those areas that I've learned a decent amount about. And I know that you're a, a, a pretty big proponent of fasting. And I do believe that for almost everybody, there is a, it, it plays a role in their life. And so I want to talk to you about kind of what you feel like are the benefits of fasting. And so like benefits of fasting, I think first, and then maybe the proper ways to implement because there are benefits to it, but a lot of people will do it incorrectly and set themselves up for failure. 
Yeah. Fasting is one of those things where people, you know, are like a little is good. So a lot would be much better. And, right. and in, in a lot of scenarios, especially women, it, it can actually do more harm than good. So like I mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian. And I always say in order to get my diploma, I had to put my hand on my diploma and say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So for <laughs> me to actually get to a point five years ago where I was like, hey, maybe skipping breakfast is not such a bad idea really took a lot of research, education, like you did yourself, and experiment with my clients. And the reason why fasting is such a buzz right now is because in 2016, the Nobel Peace Prize was won for the discovery of autophagy. And autophagy is this really powerful process in the body where when we are at digestive rest, our body's able to seek out dead, damaged, dysfunctional cells and get rid of it. It's like the fountain of the youth from the inside out. And it was really the first time in, you know, four decades, five decades, when someone said, hmm, maybe there is actually benefit in not eating versus the old, you know, dogma of you got to eat six small meals a day. You got to rev up your metabolism. And so I think from that discovery, a lot of research has come out and shown it just incredible benefits of fasting. So I think the issue is there's so many different ways that you can implement fasting. And I think the simplest way and the most beneficial way for people to implement fasting is simply a 12-hour fast. I think every single person on the planet from your one-year-old to your 110-year-old should be fasting for 12 hours. And if we look at history prior to the first set of nutritional guidelines and the six small meals a day, you know, we had breakfast at eight, lunch at noon dinner at 5.30. There was no snacking. Like I remember, I mean, I'm 45. I remember coming home from high school, asking my mom for a snack and she would say, no, you're going to ruin your dinner. And nowadays it's like, you know, we don't understand why our kids won't sit down to chicken and broccoli. Well, because they just had a bowl of goldfish an hour ago. It's like, if we don't feed our kids every two hours, they're going to die. Well, that's problematic. Simply implementing a 12 hour fast again, is where everyone should be. And then obviously there's benefits in increasing that. I think the most popular fasting technique is the 16-8, where you fast for up to 16 hours, 12 to 16 hours, and you eat for eight hours. Tons of benefits in that because of insulin management. I'm sure your listeners know insulin is the number one fat storing hormone in the body. And every time you eat, in most cases, unless you're eating like no carbs, you're going to have an insulin response. And so if you're having an insulin response six, seven times a day, because you're nibbling and grazing throughout the day, it's going to be a lot harder to burn fat because when insulin is present, you cannot burn fat. Whereas if you only have an insulin spike three times a day, it's going to be a lot easier to burn fat. Fasting helps to reduce that window in which insulin is present. Maybe it's only an eight-hour window. Maybe it's only a 10-hour window. At the most, we only want insulin to be present in that 12-hour window. Number two, it helps with caloric deficit. You know, when you give yourself a start and a stop, um, it helps reduce calories. And I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be in a caloric deficit to lose weight. I mean, there's no argue about that. And so fasting helps to, to do that. I know for myself and for a lot of my clients, we can eat really good all day long. And then it's like after dinner is when the wheels fall off. So yeah. for some people, just that kind of set time and like the kitchen's closed at eight o'clock it's just really powerful because a lot of times we're not eating because we're hungry at 10 PM. We're eating because we're sleepy. We're eating because we're stressed, you know, whatever. Yeah. So fasting can be really beneficial in that. And then in terms of 
helping with brain clarity and brain fog, preventing dementia and Alzheimer's, improving insulin sensitivity, um, reducing insulin resistance. There's just so many things that fasting can do. And guess what, guys? It's absolutely free. It's free. Okay. There's no barrier to entry. And and, uh, again, people will be like, well, I can't fast. You can fast for 12 hours. Trust me. So that's kind of where I say start. And that's, you know, in terms of like how to do it appropriately, start with a 12 hour fast, ease into a 16 hour fast. For me, 16 hour fast is really the max most days because I believe that protein optimization trumps fasting. And what mm-hmm. I've seen in my experience over the last five years is that when you tell people they don't have to eat, they just don't eat. They'll like go to yeah. three to four in the afternoon without eating. And at the end of the day, I feel like it leads to underconsumption of protein or the lack of the ability to space your protein out appropriately, which in the long run is going to impact your results. So 16 is a sweet spot for me. I love extended fasting, which is 24 hours plus. Um, but I think that that's a strategy you do kind of like once a month at the most once a week. Do you try to do that? Do you try to do uh, 24 ever? Yeah, actually we do. Um, We try to implement a 24-hour fast once a month. There's definitely a handful of people that should not be doing an extended fast. If you're under tremendous amounts of stress, if you're not sleeping well, if you have known thyroid issues, you should not be fasting for greater than 16 hours. But you're relatively healthy and then doing a 24-hour fast is really beneficial because that whole autophagy process increases the longer you fast. And I always like to mention, so autophagy increases by 300% at 36 hours. After 36 hours, so we're up 300%. After 36 hours, it starts to come back down. Now, obviously, we're not anywhere near the negative side effects of fasting. So I always tell my clients, if you really want to maximize the benefits of autophagy with fasting, 36 hours is is what you have to hit, um, which is basically simply fasting for a full day. A 24-hour fast, the way that we do it is we have dinner, say Sunday night at five o'clock, and then we fast until dinner on Monday. So you still need to eat once a day, whereas a 36-hour fast, you would, you know, do dinner on Sunday, fast through Monday, Monday, and then eat Tuesday morning. Man, this has been great. I, I, a lot of people are going to need to go back and, and take notes and, and write some of those benefits down and and maybe come up with a game plan. Just, yeah, be be aware of whether or not you are fasting right now for 12 hours. Because like she said, everybody can and really should be fasting for at least 12 hours um, on, a, on a regular basis. There's a couple more topics that I want to briefly get on before I, before I let you get out of here. Uh, you, one of the things that you mentioned, and I know that you're really big on, like you said, is protein optimization. Talk to people about what happens when they are not optimizing their protein and why it is so important to make sure they're dialed in with it. Well, I, I explain it in a very simple way. You got two pathways. You can either burn fat or you can find protein, but you cannot do both. So protein is the only macronutrient that we do not have readily available, accessible storage form, okay? Mm-hmm. So when you do not consume enough protein, your body basically shuts down all the pathways in order to go get the protein it needs. It's going to get it. It's going to get it from your muscles and your tissues. But while it's doing that, you're not burning fat. 
So it is, you know, again, if fat loss is your goal, the easiest way to open up that fat metabolism pathway is just to ensure you get adequate protein. The other issue is that the body can only utilize so much protein in one sitting. And there's kind of like this myth, you know, out in the universe that says, oh, you can only utilize 20 to 30 grams of protein in one sitting. Well, that's not true. Okay. Because your utilization rate is based on your mass, your muscle mass. Okay. So I always like to use Shaquille O'Neal as an example. Let's say he weighs, I don't know, 250, 300 pounds. He probably needs 200 grams of protein a day. If he was only able to utilize 20 grams of protein a day, he'd have to eat 10 times a day. Trust me, Shaquille O'Neal does not have time to eat 10 times a day. He's going to be able to optimize 50, 60, 70 grams of protein at one meal based on his mass. Whereas like my protein needs are about 120 grams. All right. So I'm only going to be able to utilize maybe 30 or 40 grams a meal. So understanding that protein is a macronutrient you can't bank. You know, I I usually tell my clients, take your protein goal, divide it by three. That's your optimal protein goal per meal and aim Mm. for that. So again, we've spent the last five decades talking about fat and carbs. And what we need to be talking about is protein because that's where the missing link is. And I believe that I, I would absolutely believe based on the number of people that I've worked with, 75% of Americans are not eating adequate protein. And I think the reason is, is because it's such a complicated topic. There's so much conflicting information about protein's good, protein's bad, animal versus plant. So people are just like polarized with, you know, the fear of not knowing what to do. So they just say, I'm just not going to eat protein. So that's really a huge focus in my program is getting people to understand what adequate protein looks like. Okay, for example, in a clinical setting, if a doctor comes to me and asks me to put a a patient on a low protein diet, that's 40 to 60 grams. And sometimes I tell women, your protein goal is 90. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's so high. I thought 60 was high. And I'm like, no, 60 is a low protein diet. Just kind of educating the masses of what adequate protein actually is. And it's not these super low numbers that, you know, you're probably used to consuming. Mm, Gotcha. That's good. Um, kind of this kind of last part I want to go into before the last question is around actually parenting and when it, when it comes to nutrition, because I have clients, a lot of clients who are parents and, and when we're just talking or they're talking amongst themselves, they'll talk about how, yeah, like my kids had a birthday party at school. So I went and brought donuts to school and yada, yada, yada. My kid was eating this. And a lot of people will complain and almost like blame their kids because they buy crappy snacks and have them in the pantry and and then they're stuck eating those same things too. And then my kids brought out goldfish. So I had a fistful of goldfish. And what do you think is the appropriate way to go about finding the balance with your kids of not maybe completely depriving them of some of the things that they eat in elementary school or growing up through, through grade school and high school but also like setting the right example and then getting them off, getting them on the right track. Ooh, it's a hard one. It is such a hard one. And you think as a registered dietitian, my kids would love apples and carrots, but I always say they eat like assholes all the time. (laughs) Um, So again, 
kind of like my philosophy of, you know, in terms of the environment that I create in my home and how my children eat is, I think the biggest thing is, is that the environment in which you live in matters. So if you walk into your pantry and it looks like a gas station, well, I mean, everyone's going to fail in that house. So my philosophy is, is that my children are exposed to so much junk food outside the home, at the birthday party, at school, at the movie theater, that I try to limit the amount of junk food in the home and try to have just healthier options. Because I'm here to tell you, if you put out a veggie plate before dinner and there's no other option, trust me, they're going to eat it. So it's really about what's accessible. And then guess what? If they don't eat it, they're probably not that hungry to begin with. So I think that that's the biggest thing that I've done. Um, Again, my children eat all the junk food all the time. It's just not in my house. And again, it's almost a little bit of a selfish reason because if it's here, I'm going to eat it. And I do think a lot of parents make excuses. Oh, I'm going to buy these Oreos for Jimmy. When in reality, they know they're going to be the ones in the Oreos. So, I mean, that's the biggest suggestion I can give you. The, The other suggestion that I would make is set by example. I can only hope that my children see me eating healthy, putting all the foods on my plate. And at the end of the day, it will rub off. I try not to have a lot of food battles. It's just not a battle I want to fight. I think the more you fight about like, eat your broccoli, you know, you're not leaving until you clean your plate, the worse it gets. So my philosophy is, is that they get everything on their plate, but they don't have to touch it. So it's like exposure. You'd be surprised. You put broccoli on a kid's plate 20 times and all of a sudden hell will freeze over and they will eat it. So it's just like making it part of the norm that these foods are always there. You don't have to eat them, but maybe one day you will fix them in different ways. And just, again, progress, not perfection when it comes to that. Yeah, I I think what you, all that was was so good. I think exactly what you said, right? They're going to be limited outside. And so don't try to control that, control what you can control and, and fix what's inside the home. And then I think it's so true that, Uh, Like you said, if you put out a veggie plate and they're that hungry, then they will eat it. And like you said, if if they don't, they're probably not hungry in the first place because we see that all the time with ourselves. We're not hungry, but if something's right in front of us, we're going to eat it. And we weren't actually hungry. It was just there. And so we see that all the time with ourselves. We need to uh, start applying it with our our kids and make sure that they're on the right path instead of for success. Nutrition. And that's the hard part because healthy food does take prep. You know, I mean, it's real easy for your kid to go grab a bag of chips or a fruit snack on their own, where if you tell them to go grab some carrots and, you know, ranch or whatever, like that takes effort. So having systems in place where things are a little bit more effortless can also be helpful. Yeah, no doubt. Like you said, systems in place, getting that habit, but anything, anything good is going to take a little bit of sacrifice. So if somebody wants to set the good example for their kids, and if somebody wants their kids to be on the right track and not be overweight, then you got to put in a little bit of sacrifice. Don't expect it to come ill of sacrifice. So not going to, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. Uh, And, and it'll probably, especially in the beginning, it'll probably come with some resistance as well. And so the thing that's a, that's a probably an important part to overcome To I like to think about from a personal perspective, how you approach yourself and how you approach, I'm not a, I'm not a parent, but is I like to think about caring about the future version of myself oftentimes rather than the current version of myself. And it's the same thing with kids, right? Don't give them the crap just to 
make sure they're happy now and they're not mad at you now, care about the future version of themselves and set that person up for success. Um, and I would say from experience, I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old, the older they get, the more they care, you know, mm. like when you're trying to rationalize with an eight year old between goldfish and carrots, they don't care. They just want the goldfish. But as they start to mature and age, they're like, okay, well, Hey, like my son, he's like, I want to put on muscle. Like, what do I do? And so you yeah. start to see like really small shifts that are beneficial. Yeah. When it comes, they care because you care. And right, so exactly. You said the example. Anyways, before the last question, I mean, I just want to acknowledge you for, first off, all the education that you obviously have been through and that you currently have and that you're, that you're giving to everybody else, but also the way that you go about helping people change their lives through these sustainable changes, through not promoting the all or nothing mindset that could potentially get people short-term results, but definitely roller coaster ride from there on out. And for you being, giving people the tough love when, when they need it, I think that's super important. I think it is something that is hard to do because again, they might not like you in the moment, but the future version of themselves is probably going to be appreciative of it. And so I, I acknowledge you for being able to, to do that with your clients and, and with your kids as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oof, let me tell you, it, we, we've gotten into the, you know, everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a ribbon, you know, type of yeah. thing. And I think that it, it's, you know, in the long run, it, it doesn't always benefit, benefit us, you know. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I know everybody is going to absolutely love this episode and they're going to be sharing it and, and going back and taking notes, but they're going to want to learn more about you as well. So you guys make sure you go follow her on Instagram at Amanda Nybert RD. And then you can go Check out her website, amandanibert.com as well. And you can check out her seven-week lean program that she was talking about uh, when she was talking about protein optimization, some fasting stuff as well. And um, and any other good place that people should go learn more and, and follow you? I'm everywhere. <laughs> Great. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the last question here, Amanda, is that I think getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey. I don't think we ever actually get to that person. And I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I get closer and define the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer and define the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or three things you could currently work on to get closer to that best version of Amanda Nybert that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Personally, for me, number one would be sleep. <laughs> Optimize my sleep. Um, I, you know, I'm a, a late night scroller and a late night TV watcher, so I could do better there. Believe it or not, daily movement, step count. It's something that I'm super focused on, potentially like you. I sit in front of the computer and work with clients and things like that. So I find myself just not getting that movement in. And probably the last thing would be just continuing to focus on whole food nutrition. Um, I've got a huge emphasis right now. My personal goal is to increase my fiber intake. Gut health is so important. And that's somewhere I am. And I, and again, I think it's like important to note, like you have to start, sometimes you have to start with the basics in terms yep. of like, if you're eating McDonald's every single day, then maybe your goal is to, you know, only eat McDonald's three days a week. So as I walk through my journey, like you said, it's like every year, I just try to add like a new layer. Mm. And some layers are harder to get through. I've been working on sleep for the last three years and some layers are easier to accomplish. So recognizing what my goals are and what I'm focused on are going to be different than what you're focused on. And then along those same lines, like you talked about before, it's not a finish line. It's something that you're always going to be having to work on and, and having to, to focus on. Uh, I know everybody's got 
so much from here today, y'all. If you did not take notes, make sure you maybe go back and jot a few things down, some of the practical things that apply to you and apply to your journey. Right now, make sure you go follow Amanda on Instagram and, and go to her website because we touched on a lot of great things today, protein optimization, some fasting, some alcohol stuff, some, some parenting strategies and, and how that works, but there's so much more as well. So make sure you go get some more practical tips and education from her content uh, elsewhere. Other than that, Amanda, that's all we got today. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I know everybody's gonna love it. Great, it's so good to be here. Thanks so much. Man, that was awesome. If you did not take notes during the episode, you have got to go back and do so. There was so much great info in there that I took down about alcohol selection, fasting benefits, the importance of protein, and so much more. So many great practical tips that you can start doing tomorrow or even today if, if you feel called to do so. Be sure you share this with a friend or family member who is on their own health journey so that they can eliminate the all or nothing mindset and start applying things like the 80-20 rule themselves. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And remember, you don't have to be perfect to see progress. You have to be a little bit better than you've been in the past consistently. If the quote, might as well mindset creeps in at any point in time, remember to self-correct quickly. It's not about being perfect, it's about getting back on track ASAP. And for those of you with kids, I know I can't speak from personal experience or personal example of having done it, but it's so important to set a good example. It's so important to care about the future version of your kids and that person's health and happiness rather than just the version of them that they are today and the version of them that you have to deal with right now. For now, it's time. It's time to show up and show out. It's time to ensure that we prepare because success is in any area of life is about preparation. And that actually makes the race and the game easier. Preparation makes the race easier. That's why all of you, if you prepare, it will continue to get you closer and closer to your best you.